Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lifehack Show, a series of interviews with exciting people who've built successful businesses and careers by taking action and getting more out of each day. Something we firmly believe in here at Lifehack. My name is Carl Pauline and I'm your host for this show. Today's guest is Graham Olcott. Graham is the author of four books, including the global bestseller, Productivity Ninja. And he's also the founder of the company, Think Productive, one of the world's leading personal productivity and consulting companies. Graham's mission is to revolutionize the traditionally stuffy time management courses we all see too often in the corporate world today. Graham is also the host of the popular business podcast, Beyond Busy. Thank you, Graham, for joining us today. Now, before we get started, when did you become first become interested in productivity? Yeah, so my journey into doing what I do was me fixing me. Mm-hmm. So I I got into leadership roles at quite a young age. I was running a charity at 26, um, small national charity with about 15 staff. And so I had this amazing team of people that would, I'd have ideas sat at my desk and people would be on the case and stuff would be happening. And then I went freelance and I remember one day just sitting at my desk and having ideas and looking around and realizing that I was no longer in an office with a team and I was in the spare bedroom of my flat in London and there was nobody. And so it was like, <laughs> oh, I've missed out this whole uh, bit in the middle that you learn as you go through your career, which is that sort of complete finisher, getting things over the line, like really, you know, that sort of sense of execution of work. Mm. I just, I'd missed it out because I'd got mm. into leadership like too young, really. Mm. Um, so I I then just kind of went on this whole journey of reading every book and every blog and every everything that I could come across around productivity and just seeing what worked for me, seeing what didn't work. And then I, I was back working with some people that had previously worked for me. And one of them said, hey, why do you answer your emails so well now? And you never used to reply <laughs> before when, when I worked for you. And, you know, how come you're turning up to meetings with all these like nice folders with labels on and like what's happened? And so I just fell into talking to these people about my own journey with productivity. And I sort of rather sheepishly thought I was the last person in the world who had learned this stuff. And I felt like everybody else was doing this and I was somehow deficit. And then every time I talked to someone about getting their inboxes here or getting everything out of their head or whatever it was, like people just had this huge reaction to it. Mm. And it very quickly just overtook everything else that I was doing as a freelancer and became my business, Think Productive. So that was, Mm. we set that business up in 2009. And Mm -hmm. since then we've worked with, you know, just some of the most incredible organizations in the world. Like if you... Mm. Look, look at our kind of logo page on the website it kind of blows my mind you know it's disney and ebay and google and like you know all these mm. huge companies um right through to charities and governments and and royal families and all sorts of people so mm. um yeah that's been really the journey from 2009 is fixing me first and then mm-hmm. figuring out hey i've got something here that i can relate to people with because i recognize the struggle like yeah. i'm not naturally an organized person I'm not naturally someone who is good at putting those things together. So when I create systems that worked for me, it's like, well, if they work for me, they work for anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's similar to because I remember um, David Allen talking about his uh, journey, if you like, uh, to writing the book, Getting Things Done. 
And that was 20 years in the making. But again, it was very much started right, yeah. off in him fixing himself first. And then right, okay. he, was actually a con he was actually a consultant. So he was doing, I think, I yeah. guess, business consulting. But then he, he discovered that a lot of his clients actually needed the same principles because they were struggling. Yeah, and that yeah, was back in yeah. the 80s and 90s. So you know, I heard David Allen say once that he had, what did he say? He had 30 jobs before he was 30 or something yes, like he, yes, he just yes. used to try all these different jobs. That's the bit I knew about his, um, yeah. his backstory. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, oh, he's, he's done a lot of jobs as well. And it's uh, so he's obviously had a lot of experience in different fields, uh, yeah, which actually, yeah. I think in many ways it, that might have helped you as well, because, you know, doing going out on your own, you're not just seeing a, a tiny part of a specific type of work. You get to see everything. Because I run my own business as well, and yeah. you know, I'm I'm the HR people, I'm the marketing manager, I I'm the you know the CEO, I'm everything, um, and you have to learn very quickly that there's different types of work that need to be done. So yeah, I think, very soon I, learned, I need a, was... I need a system. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think the other thing that was quite influential for me early on was so I worked in this national charity that was quite small and had no money. Like every six months, there would be a, a sort of funding crisis that was quite existential. Like, are we even, even going to survive this? And it, it was really hard to fundraise for. Um, but it was like, at the same time, the work we were doing was lobbying government. Mm -hmm. So what I saw firsthand was how power works mm -hmm. on the one hand. And then mm -hmm. on my level, I saw how creative, I learned how to be really creative with no money. And so I mm. feel like that really stood me in good stead for setting up my own business and mm. talking to people about productivity, because I think it's it's really easy to get stuff mm. done when you can chuck loads of money at it. And it's really easy oh, to get yeah. innovation when you, you know, when you have millions of pounds of R&D budget, but actually doing it with nothing mm -hmm. and living on a shoestring and having to really, you know, sort of fight for your survival as an organization it does teach you a lot about sort of prioritizing what's important and really oh, kind yes. of making space for <laughs> stuff that matters, you know? Yeah, it does. You're right. Yeah. So going on that line of, of like working with other people, where, where do you think people are having real difficulties today? Where's the biggest problem in productivity today? Cause I I've been reading newspapers over the, the Christmas break and, and talking about how in the UK and in the U S productivity is in a slump. And I know they're talking about not necessarily industrial productivity, but business productivity as opposed to personal productivity. But it's a little bit like, you know, you've got to fix the personal productivity for the actual business productivity to to get working. Um, because if, yeah, if you go from sure. the top down, it's not going to work because nobody's motivated to work it. So where do you think the biggest problem is today in terms of well, both personal and maybe comp I, I think personal productivity is probably where the bigger issues are. Yeah. So, I mean, what I can say about that is, so I wrote how to be a productivity ninja, which is my, my biggest selling book. Mm. Um, and is, is really the kind of handbook for how I do productivity is basically what's in how to be a productivity ninja. Um, and that was published in 2014. And then my publisher said in 2019, they wanted to do a five year anniversary edition of it. Right. Mm. So they said to me, here's the book strip it back down to the bare bone. It's like, what's changed in the last five years? And this was back in 2019. But what I noticed then is probably the same as what I'd say in 2023, which is it feels like the biggest thing that changed between 2014 and 2019, and it's been the same from 2019 to now, is the way people think about and use their phones and how that becomes a huge distraction point. So I actually wrote a whole new chapter in 
the 2019 edition, which is the green cover one, if you want to um, go mm. and look it up. But the, the chapter was called How to Stop Messing About on Your Phone. Mm. And it's basically we derail ourselves in terms of, you know, interruptions and wanting to seek out those dopamine hits and so on. Mm. And how we self-manage around that stuff and how we deal with willpower is, I think, really, really important. Mm. And I think the reason that's become even more so between 2019 and now is is work from home, right? And hybrid. And yeah, yeah. Um, what was interesting in the COVID period was we, so Think Productive, my business, our, our main focus is on going into organizations, doing workshops, doing coaching with people at their desks. Mm. And of course, in March, 2020, like all of that just got derailed. So, you know, most of our clients didn't cancel, they just postponed, mm. but we just had this hole of months and months. And again, that was probably the first time in a long time that I'd been in that that state of organizational existential crisis. But what we realized pretty quickly was, hang on, we're a bunch of people who've worked hybrid and worked from home for years and we teach productivity. So we can, we've really got something that we can offer here that really helps. So rather than go into kind of defensive mode, we went offense and we were like, right, free webinars every day. And we just started doing live free webinars at the very start of COVID. And organizationally that saved our bacon because we had loads of inquiries coming in and I remember one email opening up that was like we would like to book sessions for our team on this date this date this date this I, mean, I was just like oh I think this is going to be okay you know so that was quite a moment of survival but I think that was also something where you know coming back to the phones thing and interruptions you know that's a whole new way of it's a whole new way of working and I think we're definitely over the point where most people have calibrated how to do that and you know and are much more mm -hmm. into that being the norm but I do think, you know, how we manage ourselves, how we think about willpower, how we think about our phones, like our own motivation becomes um, much more central. And I suppose to sort of summarize that for how I do that, I'm a big fan of um, a psychologist called Roy Baumeister, who mm. talks about this um, concept of strength control. And basically, he says, if you start to try and manage yourself with your own willpower, willpower is a depleting resource. Yeah. So you're really on a hiding to nothing if you want to try and manage your own motivation, your own sense of distraction with your own willpower. Hmm. So you really have to make the starting point. How do I treat myself like a kid? How do I just give myself and you know surround myself with the things that I need and put out of my attention the things that I don't need? Um, and then, you know, from there, you can really start to have the right things in front of you at the right time to make big hmm. work. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've come across, particularly with my clients, uh, and a lot of them say this is that I have to answer my phone when my boss calls or I have to yeah. answer my call within. It goes back to something that I remember from the 1990s, which is we answer our calls, our phone within five rings. And yeah, I just remember working rings, in an yeah. office like that. This was before we had direct lines where as soon as the phone started ringing, everyone's attention just left because we start yeah. counting the yeah. rings. Is someone going to answer it? You know, and then you've just completely distracted the whole workforce. Yeah. And I was thinking, why on earth would you introduce such a silly, you know, mechanism? Because you're onto a hiding to nothing. Because if you don't answer it on five and you answer it on six, it's still good. And yet now the yeah. customers yeah. let down. <laughs> so... Yeah, I remember. I remember one of my first clients with Think Productive was this big marketing agency in London, um, very close to London Bridge Station, like big fancy swanky offices, open plan, mm. 120 people on this floor. Mm. And we're sat in the corner and I'm having a conversation with someone quite senior there. And I'm saying, you know, what's missing? And she was saying to me, what's missing is 
we don't have the headspace to just really ideate and come up with really strong creative ideas and we're just kind of lacking how to do that and how to support people to do that and whilst we're having this conversation the phone rang and the phone rang on every single desk in this 120 person open plan office simultaneously hmm. and i said what's going on and she said well you know we're a marketing agency our philosophy is the client is king the client the client the client the client hmm. and so every time a client picked up the phone to call them it was like oh, quick get on it you know and so it would come up on the screen like flashing who they were trying to reach but the idea was that everybody else you mm. know should be their backup if they'd gone to the toilet or whatever like someone else is there to grab the phone and I said well like when you look at research one interruption takes you 15 minutes to recover from mm. so you're setting your your people up to fail by having mm. this system and you know over time we we actually did quite a big project with them around the etiquette of their email and the etiquette of communication and um, it really started to make some change but that's often the starting point and I think the same metaphor holds for how people use slack you know how people Absolutely. think about yeah, yeah, yeah. you know even just regular email as well um mm -hmm. just this sense of it's an instant medium if I send something I need a response straight away um and I just think we have to have a really different conversation organizationally around how you know managers job is to get out the way mm -hmm. and to allow people to manage their own attention yeah. and particularly to manage so what i talk about in the book is the idea of proactive attention so mm -hmm. two to three hours a day you have your best energy your best attention those are the hours that you've really got to work on mm. and and screen out distractions and do your best work in that time mm. the rest of the day is kind of fine like if you really mm. if you use that two to three hours really well but I just think so many organizations are not having that conversation about, you know, when are you at your best? When do you have your best energy? How can we get out of the way? How can we support you? How can we give you space? And so I think that happens digitally, even when it doesn't happen physically. Well, it does. And you've actually mentioned it in because you, you talk about like uh, time. I've heard, heard you talk about like time management is dead. What we should be looking at is is attention management. And yeah. that yeah. is a whole different ballgame. Time management is actually generally quite easy. Learn to use a calendar and you're going to be pretty good at time managing <laughs> your time. Um, but also it doesn't matter to the work if you're five minutes late, right? It matters in no, other ways. Yeah. It really um, doesn't but actually matter. you don't have to be on time um, to be productive actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things I, I, I do for myself and I do try and get my clients to do this is to coach yourself and teach yourself to, not be distracted by that email coming in. So I had one last night where I've yeah. been waiting for about two weeks for a reply to an email. It's quite, it's, I wouldn't say it's urgent, but it was exciting because it was a yes or a no. And I'm waiting. I was thinking, please say yeah, yes, yeah. please say yeah. yes. And I saw the email come in and I was in the middle of doing something that needed focus. And I thought my initial reaction was open it. And I said, no, this is a training opportunity. Finish what okay. you're doing first yeah. and then open it. And, you know, I am so glad I did that because it was a yes, which was a good anyway. But it was also I saw, whoa, this is a training opportunity. Don't look at it. Finish this this bit of work first, probably another 10, yeah. 15 minutes and then open it. Um, and, you know, the guy who sent me the email isn't expecting a reply within two or three minutes. And because if anyone does on email, you know, I'm thinking, no, 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 you've got it wrong way around. If you want to get me if you want me to reply immediately, call me. But then I don't usually yeah. answer my phone yeah. anyway. But because um, I like to see who it is first, and if it's a if I don't recognize the number, I don't usually answer it. <laughs> so, yeah, but... we were talking about this the other day. We were saying um, I was just round at a table for dinner with a few friends, and I was, and we were having this conversation. Who out of the people around this table 
actually just proactively even your friends like who do you call without scheduling the call first <laughs> like mm. so i was so the person i sat next to um around the table we'd had a sort of hour-long catch-up phone call just kind of social phone call a couple of weeks before but we'd scheduled it you know and it was like mm. oh let's you know i'll put my son to bed and then it'll be 7 30 and then you know 7 45 i'll give you a call um and so i'm just in this habit of scheduling but it was really interesting how there were so few people around the table that would ever just pick up the phone it's almost become like a like a rude thing now to yes, to interrupt it, I, someone's I attention it and, it, and yeah. people feel scared to do it right <laughs> i i hate it now i tend to as i say most all my calls are scheduled anyway but you know if yeah you got instant messaging. So that if you want somebody to reply urgently, use the instant messaging system. Although even then I'm, I've, as soon as I, well, I don't usually see it because those notifications are turned off, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of training opportunity. <laughs> don't look at it immediately. And I, it's, it's a bit like, I don't know if you've heard that, you know, like self-discipline is like a muscle. You need to keep training it. And that's where, yeah. you know, Admiral McRaven's, famous Texas, I think it was Texas University commencement address where he says, if you want to change the world, begin by making your bed. And the, the principle behind that is, is that making your bed every morning before you, you know, you get, get out of your bedroom is, it's training your self-discipline. Um, and it's also, yeah. you've got the first task of the day done, you know, in the first two minutes of the day, you've done the first task. It, it starts the momentum. And so I, 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 when I remember seeing that about three or four years ago, I thought, Oh, there's a that's it it's a training opportunity everything that comes at me where that that instant i want to be distracted no it's a training opportunity stay focused on the job in hand and yeah. it's, it's a trigger now for me it's just i use that one as a training opportunity but so how would you say or what what would you give a few tips as to how somebody could get better at managing their attention yeah. So what I was going to say just about that training opportunity is so the Baumeister approach to that would be to say two things which seem contradictory, um, but they're both really important for managing attention. So one is um, that your so he calls it strength control. Your, your strength control is a de depleting resource as you go through the day, which is why if you go into the store to try and buy toothpaste at the start of the day, you just pick up the toothpaste. And if you go at the end, you're just like, ah, there's 50 choices. Ah, like what? You know. <laughs> so as we go through the day, we have less and less of that, uh, you know, that willpower, basically, that mm. what Baumeister calls strength control. But also strength controls a muscle. So what you want is to make sure you do have a few opportunities to increase that willpower, a few of those training opportunities that you talk, talk about. Mm. But also you want as few of them or just not enough of them so that you're able to just really focus on the stuff that matters too. So it's like a, mm. it's like a fine line, high wire act um, mm. through the middle of that. But in terms of then what that means for managing attention. So the thing I do around that is I know that my own brain is very instinctive, very distractible um, and very likely to just be pulled away in a hundred different directions. So my phone um, it basically blocks all that stuff. So I use an app called Freedom. Mm -hmm. And Freedom, you can set it for, don't let me look at these websites through certain times. So for me, it's like the BBC Sport website, like, you know, all these different mm -hmm. things that are just going to take up time. Um, so you can block those specific sites at specific times. You can also block apps. So I really don't enjoy being on Instagram, but when I am on there, all the, all the notifications are turned off. Um, and then there's only very short windows in the afternoon of days because the morning time is when I have my better attention mm. um, when I'm actually able to get on Instagram. So it really kind of limits the 
the ability of those things to to provide you with too many training opportunities you know you want to kind of have that as limited as possible mm-hmm. um so what i love about that is you're just making one really sort of strict decision with yourself once mm-hmm. and then it's set up and you can even set the freedom app up so that it won't even let you exit the app so there's actually no way of turning it off um, and i find that <laughs> Um, very childish um, approach really works for me. Mm. So thinking about just in general, screening distractions, removing notifications, um, what do you want to pass your eyeballs every day? I think is a really profound mm. question because yeah. I think the things that you put your attention on ultimately define who you are and what you do. Mm. Um, the other thing is just to get really savvy with your own um, levels of attention and where they come. So for most people, your proactive attention, that two to three hours in the day where you're going to be most alert, most able to do great work, statistically tends to be in the morning, mm. but not everybody. So you might be someone who's an afternoon, evening person. Um, then you have, after those two to three hours of your your best proactive, brilliant attention, you know, you have a, a sort of bit in the middle. And then you have some hours in your day where you have what I call inactive attention. And mm. for that, I have a list on, on my Todoist app. I have a list called Mindless, which mm. is basically I'm half asleep you know, I've got really nothing left in the tank, but I can just kill these five or six things, you know, mm-hmm. and it's stuff like doing research online or like buying stuff or like just those simple things or just mm-hmm. getting back to scheduling emails or whatever, like just stuff that's quite simple and easy to do. Um, so on the one hand, be really strict with those two to three hours of proactive attention and make sure you're defending those, really utilizing them well, not being lazy in that time, like doing mm-hmm. really great work in that time, like push yourself in those two, mm-hmm. three hours, be the sergeant major of your own brain. And mm. then on the other hand, when it's those hours where you don't have great energy, great attention, mm. give yourself the gift of a, a mindless list where you can just be like, this is all I need to do now. Like I've done my great work. This is just the other sort of admin maintenance, whatever else it is that I'm fine to only be doing this and that's okay. Mm. And so at that point you want to be your own counselor or be much softer and, and kinder to yourself. So mm. just kind of recognizing those dynamics and, and sort of segmenting the day in that kind of way, segmenting your to-do list in that way, I just think is, you know, it's such a game changer for so many people. Mm. And um, one of those things that, you know, that's the feedback I get from when people have read the book and started to implement that. It's just what a light bulb that is, you know? Yeah. When you mentioned about be your own Sergeant Major, you just reminded me of, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but um, the actor Windsor Davis in a, in a sit a comedy show on the BBC, I think it was, um, called uh, It Ain't Half Hot Mum. So it's set in the jungle no, during the war. Remember. I mean, I know Windsor... I look really old. Right? <laughs> no, well, Windsor Day, <laughs> you want to look at Windsor Davis, It Ain't Half Hot Mum, because he was a Sergeant Major and he's 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 going, he was in, Sergeant Major of a, like a um, entertainment group in the war. And I think they were based in Singapore or India or somewhere like that. He was in a very hot climate anyway. And he'd be walking around as they were on parade behind them with his wonderful deep welsh tones going i'm watching you little boy oh and it was just right. and you just remind me i thought yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you've got that little voice saying, no, you're not <laughs> going to be distracted don't you dare <laughs> you know? but it, it's like just there was a little encouraging yourself just don't allow myself to be distracted and actually that gets, links me to something that i saw in your book which is um your your stealth and camouflage or tactical hiding as you called it i just thought oh that's yeah. brilliant yeah um because you know yeah, I think sometimes part of the problem most people have is we are just too available. And particularly as you go up in the organization, as you get more responsibility, you're higher up in the hierarchy, if you like, you can afford to be less available. And 
because you, you kind of like, you don't want to be available to everybody because then you're still kind of micromanaging or doing your old job. It's like a salesman yeah. who goes or salesperson who becomes a sales manager, you know, if they continue selling, they, they say, I, I've got to keep my clients. They're not letting go and they're not spending any time managing. So, but as a manager, you have to become more stealthy, more camouflaged uh, and let your salespeople do the work. Yeah, for sure. And it sort of comes back to what I was saying before about we've got to have different conversations within organizations about what's important. And one of the most underrated parts of work is quality thinking. Mm. And so Henry Ford has a lovely quote, which is thinking is the hardest work there is, mm -hmm. which is the probable reason so few engage in it. Yes. And I think that is more true now than it's ever been. I think the higher up you go in organizations, the more the way you add value actually comes from creative ideas, from figuring out solutions to problems, you know, mm -hmm. all of that creative thinking work. And where do people have their best ideas? It's not at their mm -hmm. desk. It's not while they're doing email. It's no. walking the dog or in the shower. No. It's, it's, it, you don't actually need time to have great ideas. What you need is headspace. Yeah. And so we need to work with organizations to create that headspace. And for that to be seen as something that's really positive and valuable that people have space and not mm -hmm. something that people should feel guilty about or unproductive mm -hmm. about. Like, I just think there's this massive misnomer that thinking time is a luxury. Thinking time is, is non-productive time and thinking time is somehow invalid. And mm -hmm. actually it's the opposite, right? It so is, I just think is. that's a really, that's, you know, I've been kind of fighting that battle in a lot of organizations for years and it doesn't actually seem to be getting much better. Um, no, no. but it, it feels like such an important thing. Um, and so particularly when you're in, in, in a senior role, you know, you want to be creating that space. You want to be, um, you know, unapologetically saying this, this is three or four hours actually. Cause I, for me, it's like an hour or two is not enough to get into positive headspace to really mm -hmm. let the ideas flow and to kind of almost get out of the day to day so that it's more like the, the subconscious, part of the brain takes over you know it's no uh no surprise to me that when i'm when i'm writing books the best bits of books and the best ideas for structures come when i'm doing a long run mm. like when i'm running for an hour mm -hmm. it's the hour to an hour and a half period where it's like oh and it's popping and i'm on whatsapp voice and you know it's like mm -hmm. i'm getting incredible mm -hmm. stuff done you know and that doesn't happen in 15 minutes or, or even no, an hour no, so no it feels to me like the more senior you are in an organization, the more you need to unapologetically create space because yeah. the space is where you really add value. But it feels so esoteric that it, people just feel guilty about it or they just feel like everyone else won't understand it or it's mm. not okay to do it. And so it feels to me like there's a, a huge conversation to keep having around quality thinking and, and that really being about how we make space for what matters. I think that's because a lot of people or managers, like they want to see something tangible you know, they, yeah. they don't, they don't see thinking as they could, anyone can show for it and potentially it could be abused, you know, sorry, boss, I'm, I'm late today. Cause I was thinking in the park, you know, how can you prove they yeah. weren't thinking and now, and so on. And so I, I think there's obviously a lot of nervousness around allowing their employees the freedom, but I was kind of hoping that the pandemic had, cause I remember before the pandemic and the lockdowns of various places, um, where companies say, oh, our kind of business, we can't do working from home. Well, you know, two years in lockdown, yeah. they discovered that they actually could work from yeah. home. Um, but 
I'm, I was hoping that that would actually start a kind of a revolution in the way that we work because the technology is there. And I remember hearing somebody, and I've gone and forgotten his name now, brilliant marketer, um, done lots of TED Talks, but he was mentioning that the, the next big thing in business is going to be video conferencing. And he said this mm. like five years ago. So way before right. the pandemic yeah. was coming. And I thought, and I thought, you know what? He's probably right. I mean, we have all this technology. Mm. There's, a fo- there's a camera on every device we carry around with us today. Why are we still having to wake up at six o'clock in the morning, spend two hours on a train just to go to a meeting with you know, five or six other people that discusses the same kind of subject every week? You know, is that really the best use of your workers' time? <laughs> um, yeah. But so maybe, maybe it will happen. Maybe as it looks like, we're probably going to end up in a hybrid uh, world uh, on things like that. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see where that will go. <clears throat> um, now, one of the other things that I saw in your book was, you know, be weapon savvy, because. I saw the title, I think, weapons, we're talking weapons. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, I'm thinking, Whoa. and then I thought, okay, of course it makes sense. It's the tools that you're using. Now, I've always used the analogy yeah. of like a craftsperson you, having a toolbox or a tool bag. So I think of like my calendar, my task manager, and my notes app is, is the tools that I use to do my work each day. There are other tools that I use for writing and, and obviously recording videos and stuff. But the main tools I'm using each day that's kind of driving my days my task manager is telling me these are the things that you've decided need to be done today. Your calendar says you've got enough time to do it. And my notes have yeah. all the ideas. So it all connects together. It's a bit like this is my favorite hammer in my screw in my toolbox. But then I saw, yeah, weapons have it. I really like that um, because it, it does when you have a set of tools or weapons that you're using and you see them in that light, that kind of light rather than saying, oh, it's another task manager. You know, I've kind of, I know as you mentioned before that you're using Todoist, I'm also a Todoist user and, you know, that's, that's my, I see it as my friend in a way, because it stops me from from getting things. I I say, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And, you know, I've developed now the habit of saying, yes, yes, I will do that. Okay. It means get it into the system. (laughs) Don't forget, don't trust the head. Um, So I saw that that one is, you know, the weapons savvy. I just thought, oh, that's a really good uh, way of. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the savviness for me is it's like twofold so one it's um the biggest improvement opportunities for most people is to find something that you use regularly and just get five percent better at using it Absolutely. Um, the real classic one is microsoft outlook and microsoft word and just that that stuff that is just ubiquitous because it's on your desk because that's what your company uses microsoft in particular i think uh they're very good you know people love microsoft or hate microsoft but I think Microsoft are very good at making software that is immediately usable without training, mm-hmm. but also is hugely complex if you get some more training. So like actually some of the stuff that you can do even with Outlook is is phenomenal once you really mm. learn it, you know. And so the savviness of seeing those improvement opportunities, but also there's a savviness in sticking with the things you know rather than being distracted by the newest shiniest latest thing so i think Mm. people often live on this promise that i've got productivity nailed down to about 90 percent, and this app is the 100 percent bridge to the the promised land (laughs) and i just think that is just wrong you know so Mm. generally what people end up doing is spending two days you know copying and pasting all the stuff that was in one app into another or you know, mm-hmm. reconfiguring stuff. So, you know, savviness is also about saying, 
use the tools to aid your work. Don't get distracted by the tools. So yeah. when I'm using a tool, well, I don't want to think about the tool really. Mm. Um, I don't want to think about it too much. I want to just be engaged in the work. So, you know, changing when there's something that will, you know, genuinely push you a lot further, but actually sticking with stuff and, and, you know, being open to learning and changing and, and stuff within the tool, I think is better. Mm. Um, then the, the kind of ninja analogy that out of the characteristics that I think is sort of most resonating for me. And I think it's the same when I go out and do talks is the last one, which is human, not superhero. Mm-hmm. So what is a ninja? A ninja is a human being with good tools and good skills and some Zen and some mindfulness and agility and, you know, all mm. these, all these positive traits. Um, but there's no like secret special powers. There's no yeah. shortcuts. Mm. And so I think that's a really important one is to recognize that when it comes to productivity, we all have our limits. We all have yes. a, a certain limitation in the day. We all have certain limitations in terms of our abilities and also when we're working in a team, we need to look out for people, you know, around us in terms of when someone might be hitting a wall or getting exhausted or struggling or, you know, hiding something that, you know, they're just having their own internal battles over. Um, so I think that's a really important one is to recognize that there is no special powers. Like we're not superheroes. There's no there's no way of just, you know, creating magic, even though when you do all that stuff really well you probably walk through the office and everyone else thinks you're a superhero, right? So that's why I, I feel like a ninja is a really special thing, um, you know, because it's like there's all this work that that goes into making you look like you have a superpower and you don't have a superpower, but like you've just done all that work. That's that's how you got there. I know it reminds me, I mean, I've been using Evernote for 13, maybe 2009. So yeah, September, 2009. So yeah. 13 years anyway. And I remember when Notion came out and oh, it was tempting. It was so tempting. Oh, because yeah, it, yeah, looked, yeah. it looks absolutely, you can create so much beautiful pages and stuff. And I just thought, I haven't got the time to learn that. Yeah. And yet yeah. I saw all my favorite YouTubers. It wasn't long before they were doing videos on Notion and saying, oh, this is a game changer. Well, it turns yeah. out that it wasn't actually a game changer. It's very good, but it's not a game changer. Same with Obsidian and uh, Rome Research. They're great apps. I'm certainly not taking it, but they're not game changers. Yeah. They're just simply a place to put your ideas and your notes. And to me, they don't, for that, the only thing you need is a good search tool because that will search keywords because I'll throw in ideas about, you know, I could throw in something about dog productivity and how dogs are so product- productive and getting what they want. <laughs> I have a dog. He is brilliant at that. I want to be able to just type in dog productivity and all my ideas that I've had or observed my own dog will come, yeah. all the notes yeah. will come up and I can just, oh yeah, now I can write a blog post about it or something. Um, I don't need anything to look beautiful. I just need it to work. That That's kind of my philosophy. And sure. to do it, yeah. I think he's been I, I, eight I or nine I feel like Notion years. is a really... I feel like Notion's a really interesting one in that um, it is a game changer if you're one of the power users. But oh, I yeah. think the power users are generally the people who make videos on YouTube about how great Notion is, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know that actually that many other people are so deep into it that it's changed mm-hmm. the game for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like one of those ones where actually the barrier to entry to becoming a power user is quite high. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, like I've used it and I have an account and I manage a lot of my podcast stuff through it. But I know that I'm really at the the early end of mm. what's possible with that app. Mm. But like, I also just, I don't care enough to spend enough time yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in there to become a power user. Like I don't need to. So, mm. so why would I? So it just feels like a really interesting one. It's almost like the opposite to Microsoft, right? Where like Microsoft, it's really easy 
on day one to just know how to do email without thinking yeah. about it um but yeah you have to uh, lift lift the lid and lift 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 the bonnet up and see what's underneath you know yeah i mean as you know, one of my favorite tv shows is uh, repair shop um on bbc yeah. i just i just love that i just love watching craftspeople do their work i think that's where the, the yeah. fascination comes yeah. but what i'm i'm also i'm looking at the tools they're using and there's there isn't a single brand new screwdriver or hammer in their in their bag <laughs> you know we're looking like i mean one of the guys i think he said i've had this hammer for 35 years yeah. i absolutely love the feel of it i thought yeah that's the same with me and to do is to never know i mean it might not be the best tools on the market today but I just love the way they work and I don't want to change that. Um, there must I be a hammer with a better UI though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when you think about it, it is, it's really about being weapon savvy. It's about really understanding. It's not about the new tools. It's about really learning the tools that you have so that you are a master of those tools, particularly the key yeah. ones, the ones that you don't use every day, perhaps not, but like you're writing books. I, I write, well, I'm writing, written a book and several books and I write blog posts every week. So I use an application called Ulysses. I think I've used Ulysses about six years. I know how it works. Yeah. I know how I've got everything organized and I just pick it up, dark mode, you know, dark screen and just write. And I just love that writing experience. And I wouldn't dream of using anything else now. Um, so yeah, it, it's just learning those tools i think is really important that's why i like the, the way that weapon i love the way of saying these are my weapons to get my work done yeah but it, being savvy about it you know picking the right tools that fit for you yeah now the, another for chapter sure. that really caught my attention in your book is that the one on agility being agile mm. being because it just reminded me of something that i've written about in the past which is like it's like being a, a firefighter and a fire prevention officer. I remember an old sales manager from way back in the 90s told me that, you know, great salespeople are preventing fires. They're fire prevention officers. Uh, poor salespeople are fighting fires because they haven't dealt with their customers properly. So they've got problems coming at them. They're trying to sell. They've got, you know, everything's just chaos. Um, but when I was, you know, when I was listening to you, because I actually listened to you talking about the the agile bit, the agility bit, I was thinking, yeah, it just reminded me of, you know, having, well, to me, it's like having a set of personal rules for dealing with certain situ common situations. But how do yeah. you, how do you see that people can be just come a little bit more agile in dealing with the problems that they inevitably are going to face? Yeah. Well, I think a big part of that is so like, it's like how quickly you see the tornado on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, that's about, if you're just focused on going faster and faster on the hamster wheel um, and answering emails and being in meetings and, and you're not creating that time and space for quality thinking, then you're not going to scan the horizons and, mm. and see the potential problems that are there. So for me, that's about, you know, like investing some of your time in personal development, like what's going on in your industry, like what else is going on in the space, that kind of thing like scanning the horizons around your organization you know who's doing what and like what are they talking about and what what's you know the sort of emerging agendas and things like that and just recognizing that you know that's an important part of the inputs that you need to do quality thinking is the context and what's going on in in other parts of the world you know so then you've got to then assimilate that and apply that to your own work and so for me, the big habit is, you know, so we talked about David Allen before the weekly review. And so mm -hmm. I've done that since I read Getting Things Done. And, you know, that's a key part of, of my method as well is like not just weekly review, but also daily review. But having those times to really, you know, just kind of 
come back and say, right, where am I right now? Be in the present moment with your thinking, mm-hmm. scan through all the stuff that's on your list and your calendar and everything else, but also just take a step back with that and scan the wider world at the same time. So mm-hmm. I have in my review checklist, you know, just a few, just a few questions really, just so it's like, you know, how am I feeling? One of the questions is what are the sort of problems that I can anticipate within the business? What's going mm-hmm. on in the wider world? So just kind of asking myself those questions um, you know, just allows me to, you know, even often to start subconsciously, this sounds weird, but I feel like by asking myself those questions, I subconsciously start thinking about that stuff. And then about a week later, it kind of hits me. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's something there. So, but it feels like you kind of have to feed the brain a little bit with that. You need to, you know, proactively, um, you know, walk around your building if you're in an organization mm. or mm. attend some of those other seminars or read some new books or listen to podcasts or whatever but just to get some input that's not you and your work mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. might be connected to and have context to and actually a lot of the best creative ideas come from putting two you know seemingly disconnected things together you know so mm-hmm. much creativity right. is yeah. is from that so for me that's like making sure that there's time um mm-hmm. to invest in that during the week and i think you know what is agility ultimately it's like when some kind of emergency hits and you need to drop everything, you need to drop everything confidently. You need to drop mm-hmm. everything to go, because there will be emergencies. When that emergency comes, of course, yeah. I want to be able to drop everything I'm doing and say, mm-hmm. I can be 100% focused on this and I'm not worried about anything else. Yeah. And that's not free. You know, you have to really invest in, you know, having a really good second brain, as I talk about in the book, having mm-hmm. things, um, you know, set up in a certain way so that it's really obvious and easy for you to see at any moment, like mm-hmm. this is the stuff I'm dropping. And so it's really easy when your boss comes to you and says, hey, work on this. You can say, great, but also these five things, what do we do about that? And so you can have much more objective, informed conversations by having that. And so, you know, people often say to me at at the sort of end of the year or start of the year, what I want to do this year is to be much more proactive and much less reactive. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. So what are you going to do about that? Because you can't just say that. You can't just Mm. say, I've now decided... (laughs) Mm. I'm going to be much more proactive and much less reactive. And it's like, it, that doesn't come for free. You know, you have to mm. do some work in terms of your own systems. And that's almost like the weird paradox of productivity, I think, is that um, when you're, when so one of my other characteristics of the ninja is preparedness. When you're mm. prepared, when you're organized, you know, when you're structured, you have freedom. Yeah. And when you're disorganized, you don't have freedom. And so for me, it's like investing in that stuff and, and putting the structures in place first mm-hmm. then allows you to make a much wider, much more free set of choices around being agile and reacting to things and, and you know, s- smelling where the action is, like going where the money is or going where the excitement is or whatever you want to do. That's just much easier when you, yeah. you know, when you have a, a much greater sense of like, what your commitments are, what's on your plate, who you are and all those kind of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, like you, I I couldn't, I don't, well, I'm sure I could exist if I didn't do a weekly planning session, but I don't like to try it (laughs) because, but I think part of the problem for most people is particularly those actually I found who've come from the GTD background, the getting things done book background. They seem to think that a proper weekly review is going to take you two to three hours on a Sunday afternoon. Well, the answer, the thing is it's not going to take you two to three hours unless you want to make it two to three hours. Like most people, well, if you haven't projects, done one for a month, then it's yes, that, that will take a long time. Yeah, but most people's projects are not—they're not all active, 
Uh, and I know yeah. certainly I've got several projects that are theoretically on the go right now, but some of them are not due until the end of the second quarter or even not until the third quarter. So I'm not, we I'm not reviewing those on a weekly basis. I might start nearer the time I'm reviewing just the projects I'm working on right now, because yeah. they are the ones that are, you know, active. They are the ones that things are happening. They're dynamic, but the ones that are basically stalled because I've chosen to stall them. Um, I'm not going to be reviewing them every week. So for me, a weekly planning session, probably 30 minutes, uh, but it does exactly what you just described. It gives me a good 20 minutes to look, go through all my lists to make sure everything's current. And then that 10 minutes to step back and think, am I still going in the right direction? Which is my favorite question. Yeah. And, and then yeah. if I ever yeah. answer it, which direction do you want to go in? I know I've got a problem. <laughs> so it's like, See, I would am say, I going yeah, in I... the right direction? Yeah, for sure. I would say I agree with all that, but also I would say that I do review all of those projects that I know I'm committed to, even the ones that are further down, further down the track. But really what I mean by reviewing them is I go through the little thing in Todoist where all the projects are and I just go, yeah, that's still going to happen. Yeah, cool. And so it doesn't take me very long, like a couple of seconds for each one. But that feels a really important step for me because... You know, coming back to that thing about creativity, it just it right, I right, just have right. a terrible memory. So it's a really important thing for me to just know, okay, that's what's coming up on my horizon. And then that just allows me as I'm going through the rest of the week to just maybe spot opportunities where, oh, there's something that will help that project. Whereas I think if I wasn't looking at that stuff every week, I would just forget it. And so yeah. if that feels like a really important thing to just for me to be able to trust that my second brain is the right stuff and that yeah. I've got the right things in there. Yeah, excellent. Right, we're coming to the end now, but before we do, I have uh, the what's becoming the traditional life hack last question. We believe that life <laughs> is nothing without the time to live it. What is the one thing that you will regret if you're not investing enough time in and why? Oh, wow. I'm a big fan of, there's a, a book, um, I think her name's Bronnie Ware, and it's mm -hmm. like, I think the book's called The Five regrets of the dying or the top five regrets of the dying yeah. or something and um the one in there that really um and i never remember the wording of it but one of them mm -hmm. is basically like saying the things that you really want to say to your loved ones while you can mm. and so i would i think that would be my answer is you know whether that's my son whether that's my parents like whoever that is is to just make sure that i'm being honest with those people and i'm mm -hmm. connecting as emotionally as i can with those people um and that's that can be difficult especially like with my parents I think about my parents um they're not emotional people right so i feel like i'm <laughs> the one doing a lot of the work in that mm. but i just think there's something really important about you know my dad my dad's hero died last week so mm. my dad's hero was david crosby from crosby stills and nash oh, and yes, yes, yes. i cried like I, <laughs> it really hit me hard that my dad's hero was gone Mm. and I wrote this I wrote, so I have this weekly Sunday email called rev up for the week mm. and the idea is it's a positive or productive email for the week ahead and I wrote this really heartfelt thing about heroes and about mortality and um with a you know and I, obviously I had to put in some um I felt obligated to put in some some productivity lessons from Crosby <laughs> Stills and Nash which is a really good example of the creativity thing right productivity yes. Crosby Stills and Nash put it together yeah. and you get new yeah. stuff um and I and I was really proud of it and then I thought for about a day and I thought, I have to send this to my dad. And I know he's going to find it deeply uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so I sent it to him and he sent me back a really nice but short thing that just said, thank you for sharing that with me. That was kind <laughs> of what he said. And then, and then my mum sent me a text, um, which was 
which said something along the lines of, you know, my your dad's really overwhelmed by that. And, you know, mm. thank you. And um, so that's often where uh, that comes out. It's like Chinese whispers through my mom sort of thing. But mm. so I think, you know, it's a very long way of answering your question. But I think no, I, but I we know need, you feel. We I need more authenticity in the world. Yeah, yeah if, if, if anything like that happened with my father, I would the exact same scenario would happen. I get a very short text yeah, from my father, yeah. but my mother would fill me in on the real side. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. the same. It, it, yeah. it, it struck me how um, affected I was, though, by, I mean, I'm a big fan of Crosby, Stills and Nash as well, but, mm. uh, you know, through my dad. But, you know, my dad would follow them around on tour. Like, you know, it was, it was his hero um, dying. And it really made me, it really kind of stopped me in my tracks to just think about, obviously his mortality, my mortality, how temporary everything is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's a really, for me, that's a really important thing when it comes to work is like, we can get so um, caught up in our work. We can get, yeah. we're so invested in our work. It gets tangled up with our own identity, all this stuff. And I suppose the lesson in all that is it's all temporary. Yes. You know, none of this it is, is going to be here in a hundred years. Um, and so I think sometimes I say that to clients as well, when, when people are, having a rough day so if you're watching this or listening to this because you're procrastinating from doing some work and uh feeling like you want a productivity <laughs> dose and you're stressed like what i often say to clients is like zoom out zoom out zoom out you know if you zoom out from you you're just someone sitting in a room typing and if you zoom out from that you see your office or your house and if you zoom out from that you see your town and it doesn't take long before you zoom out and what you see is just like dust floating around in space and mm. Um, for me, that's intensely comforting because it just yeah. means that whatever you're stressed about doesn't really matter that much. It's not gonna, well, it's, it reminds me of the thing is that whatever you're worried about today, he's just going to be laughing at in five years time or even yeah. in a year's time. Um, you know, so it's not worth getting stressed and worried about. Just deal with it. Whatever it is, figure out a solution. I think it was, uh, I've forgotten. The, oh, it's CIA, isn't it? It's, um, it's, I've, I've kind of forgotten what that actually means, but it's, um, the last one I know, I A is accept. Um, yeah, it says control. What, what can it, you control, control? Influence and accept. What That's can you it. influence and what yeah. you just have to accept? Yeah. yeah. So if you can't do anything with it, just accept it and just move on. So yeah. Well, thank you for so sure. much for yeah. joining us today here, Graham. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. If you'd like to learn more about time and life planning, then here at Lifehack we have the perfect program. Our life planning program will teach you many of the aspects we have discussed today and a lot more. Full details of the program are in the show notes below. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you again in the next episode.